So the title for tonight is Utterly Ordinary. Utterly Ordinary. You know, I don't think there's a word that uh, frightens us more than ordinariness, does it? Ordinariness. Uh, It feels um, like everyone wants to be above average from Lake Lake Wobegon. (laughs) And uh, the word um, ordinary uh, has the connotation of kind of mechanical or rote or routine uh, or boring. Ordinary. And uh, what this particular culture um, thrives upon is excelling, straight A's. Um, It's just interesting uh, because uh, at the heart of Dharma, which is what we're practicing here, uh, the environment is created absolutely ordinarily, right? I mean, when you hear words like uh, renunciation, and really, it's to get back to the ordinary, to get back from the, to escape the speed, the um, busyness, the pace, the stimulation, the intensity. Uh, what's under all the frenetic, energetic stimulation? What's, what's under that? What's, what's the ground of all that? Uh, and uh, so when you come to an environment like this, it feels uh, very simple. It's not like I'm going to have to have a, a week or nine days of renunciation, and uh, that doesn't sit well with us. But really, all we've done is made it ordinary, made it... Un, un, to find the ground below the energy. That's what, that's what this environment has been created to do. And you can see the buzz. You can see the um, addiction that we have to keeping the buzz going above the ordinary. Right? The pace. The pace. More than anything, it's the inward pace. Pacing. The inward uh, Movement ahead, ahead. Because if we're here, then what's here? But the ordinary. So if we can continue to march forward, then we are marching towards something beyond the ordinary. We're in step, we're in link with something, some improvement, something, some advance away from the or just the ordinary, the utter ordinariness of this environment. So even though we're in an environment that resonates with um, utter ordinariness, our minds continue to pace its them, themselves away from that ordinariness. Away from that ordinariness. They, they continue to buzz. And because ordinariness has such a negative connotation that anything that implies ordinary to us must have the resonance of boredom. So boredom is one of the most 
aversive states of mind that we have. Many of us cannot, can stand many things, even a lot of self-inflicted fear, but boredom, that's just, that, that one just... And so, isn't it, isn't it, it's, it's, that's the worst. For something to be boring, you see, it's not inviting the quality of intensity that I call my aliveness. Because we have conditioned our form and expression of aliveness onto a certain level or threshold of intensity. And when we fall below that intensity down to the ordinary, the mind, to keep itself moving along that same addicted need, brings up boredom. This is boring. Boring. <laughs> now, we have, I, I uh, appreciate um, how the culture, the uh, culture um, is a part of this conditioning quality. The, um, so I want to talk about that, but it's not, I'm not trashing the market economy. I just want to show us what... <laughs> I just want to show us what living within those economic um, conditions do to us. And I don't know if any of you have seen the movie The Corporation, but it's one in which it really shows the insidious quality of greed um, and, and, as, um, as a sort of a given uh, in the culture and how that permeates our intentionality, our choices, everything. And the qu- earlier we can instill those greed choices, even in school systems, the, the more we live with them. And when we live with... Uh, that kind of, of, of market-driven uh, external environment, inwardly, we accept uh, the same standards, the same standards of competition and betterment. Betterment. They're not really challenged. They're assumed. They're assumed. And um, the... Um, Greed factors necessitate differentiation, don't they? Because to be the same as, not to be above average, but to be the same as, is um, antithetical to the market economy. That's what we're trying to, to do when we buy greater, more and more things, is to somehow excel in appearance the uh, through, uh, excellence through appearance. It's, it, I just think we need to understand that and feel it in our bones. Because I walked away from that movie, but other things that for a long period of time I've just watched what this does. And, and how many people um, don't really care enough to be aware of that conditioning in themselves. No, it's just, but they don't realize how it limits their freedom and their aliveness. And we, have, um, we now have an array of utilities, cell phones, pagers, desk, PD, palm things. 
<laughs> All saying what? All saying what, you see? You know, that all saying something about, not, not all, but much of it is directed towards um, self-enhancement, self, uh, a sense of um, self-importance. I, I, for one, this is just me, but I don't own a cell phone. And I can't tell you how many friends I have who say, I, I don't know what I could have done. I don't know how I lived without it. <laughs> Nothing's changed for me. And, you know, it's like, I'm getting along fine without it. What, what's wrong with this? You know, I mean, I don't understand it. I don't really understand it. Again, it's not, you know, there's no, I'm not separating something out as being a vicious uh, form of, Attack. I'm just looking at what we do to ourselves here to keep ourselves from the ordinary, from the, from the routine. You can see what happens when the mind settles into the ordinary. We scream. The last thing we want to be is ordinary. So we project enormous sense of um, I don't know. I mean, on the teachers, they must not be ordinary. I mean, I'm not in this to be ordinary. And so my spiritual growth cannot manifest as the ordinary. So I, I project onto the teachers something that must be extraordinary. But you know, when we're together, we're very ordinary. I mean... <laughs> and I was around the table last night. There was a group of friends that had gathered for New Year's and... All of us, I just looked around, there were five or six of us, and we'd all have been practicing in this place uh, since the, it began. And we were just having a, g- a great time, and the joy was permeable and palpable. Uh, but there was nothing extraordinary about the group at all, except perhaps the joy of the light. It reminds me of those uh, the Japanese paintings where um, they show a big mountain, you know, and a waterfall, and then way down in the valley, just little figures of three people standing, uh, laughing together. Uh, just the ordinariness of the manifestation of, of togetherness, given the wholeness of, of the universe. Now, uh, some of us are so loath. To be ordinary, we start acting out or finding ways to be extraordinary because we don't feel it in ourselves. We act out spiritually. We feel like we have to have a drama going on in our practice in order for it to be meaningful. And I'll be in a group of people, and one of them will have nothing going on, and the other person will have a drama going on. The person that has nothing going on worries that there's something wrong with his or her practice because they don't have drama. The drama person is worried, is comparing him or herself with the person that has nothing going on, wondering why they don't have anything going on instead of the drama. They don't win either way. Did you notice that? Have you noticed that?
And so we, we feel like there has to be a pronouncement, a manifestation, a, you know, some, something that says my spiritual practice is not just ordinary. It's not just the routine. Because the implication is, if it is, then it must be boring. And the implication of that is, I must be boring to have such a boring practice. <laughs> In fact, I, I was hearing, listening to the radio about a month ago, and there was some woman in Thailand who had decided to spend um, 30 days in a very small enclosure with 3,000 scorpions to, <laughs> to set the Guinness Book World of Records. And she was being interviewed on something, say, the 25th day. I don't know, but it was well into it. And she was so proud that she'd only been stung seven times. <laughs> That's how far we'll go. <laughs> Nothing but the, uh, please, not the ordinary. You know, how can I excel? Some of us don't feel that we can excel intellectually, so we do it, try to do it behaviorally, or we try to do it through that sort of silliness. And we confuse attention for self-worth. Because that's what's really driving the need to escape our skins. And many of us really get involved in spirituality to escape ours, escape the ordinary, to escape ourselves. Because we have some idea, some projection that the spiritual will be ethereal or something. But not me. Not me. And yet the methods we're using are the simplest methods possible. We don't paint huge mandalas, give you rosary beads, ask for elaborate visualizations. In fact, we use the absolute bare ordinariness about you. We use the absolute simplest component. And thereby strip all of the pretension away. Because the Eightfold Path, the Buddhist teaching, is about doing just that. Stripping the paint. And if you think how many coats of elaboration we have painted upon the natural, organic, authentic quality of ourself, it's considerable. We arrive thick, with the layers. And we sit, and those layers begin to, because if you're not working forcibly to keep those layers on, they begin naturally to slough off. They have to, like the skin 
that Yanai was talking about last night. He didn't have it right about the snake, by the way, but... (laughs) We'll forgive him. (laughs) And so the... It has, we have to use a very simple technique so that we don't add more pretension. So that we don't start prating around with another coat. So we cut through that. We drop it. We give you a mirror. That's all we give you. You come in, you get a mirror. Now sit down and look at the mirror. That's what we do. And the paint starts peeling back. And the screens start occurring as the paint starts peeling back. Why? Because you painted it for some reason. Some pain in you wanted a layer of pretension. Something in you. So you painted it on. Then when it comes off, it exposes the raw pain of why you painted it in the first place. That's what it shows us. And we don't give anything but a mirror. So you're faced for a moment with six layers instead of seven, or five instead of four. To the point where We don't know who we are without that fifth layer. In fact, we may have been so wrapped up in a pretentious layer, let us say self-pity, around some issue, a poor me syndrome. And we use the emotional issue, whatever it might be, some part of our story, as a lead so that we can gain self-pity and therefore maintain the sense of pretension. I'm to, I have to, we have to do this now. We have to just, if we're going to move here, we have to look at the wood. I'm hoping we're ready to do that. We're into the middle of the retreat. So let's go with this thing. And we're faced, because we see it, we've got the mirror, we see that we're pretending in some ways to maintain this self-pity in order to get the kind of affirmation it makes me feel validated. So I just, but I'm seeing it. So the problem is I'm looking and I see that. And then there's another problem. I can't give that up because I don't know what that reflection would look like without that coat of paint. Jeez. Now we're really in a bind because we've both seen it. It was fine when we were unconscious to it, but just playing it along. But now we've seen it. Once seen, never forgotten. You can't pretend to pretend. So now you're, you're, it, it's in the, now there's a real, because you realize why you're doing it but you're not finished with the image. 
the image is still too powerful for us to be able to release ourselves from. So we continue to, to fraudulent, fraudulently, fraudulently paint the layer. I like that. I like being in a bind. That's, that's the, a spiritual fix. And spiritual practice is full of those fixes. You're in a fix. You're in a bind. And that's it, you see. You, it's truth confronting pretension. And that's the whole of the spiritual journey. And what do we do? Well, I, make the, I often make the suggestion, don't give it up. Play it out. In fact, overemphasize it. Start being even more self-pitying. Just ring it for everything you can get from it. It's until you smile. And you see how ridiculous it is. You need, we need to know the value and the limitation. We need to know both sides of the equation. We cannot give it up with, either, with knowing just one side. You need to know what you're gaining from it and why you're painting it on to begin with, and you need to know the layer, the, the, the hurt, the conflict, the limitation that, what, that happens when you paint. Because that mirror is going to continue to show us everything until there's no reflection. Ultimately, there's no reflection. As long as there is, there's a level of pretension. That's the fact. And so much of it is just wanting to be validated. Just wanting, because we, we don't feel inside what the culture tells us we should be feeling. That, we, that we're excelling, that we're above average. In fact, none of us feel that, even if academically or intellectually we are above average. Still, there is this hollow feeling inside that no matter how much praise comes our way, doesn't validate because we believe the message of our own inadequacy. Praise doesn't help. doesn't touch that. Please, just notice me. Tell me I'm worth noticing. So much of our conversation together, isn't that what it's about? Please, just show me I'm worth something by your attention. So... mm but you see, we want, your, we want the other person's attention. We want to be looked at, but we really don't want to be seen. So that's why this culture in particular focuses in on appearance. Because that's the glancing blow of, of, of the looking. It doesn't penetrate into the pain behind the appearance. So we stop at the appearance. We try to improve external appearance, clothing, everything. 
Reputation, that's a form of appearance. Status. And then people who don't have a beautiful, radiant appearance, which most of us do not, are left having to develop personality because that's the next layer. (laughs) Movie stars, I'm not sure what their personality is, but they've often been accepted at that level and probably haven't, many of them, developed much beyond that. But if we don't, if we're not gorgeous, then we've got to have something that allows attention to come in. So then personality is where we, where we rest. It's another layer. It's another layer of pain. And then when we actually get someone who pays attention to us and develops the intimacy that we crave, well, then we're scared to death of showing them our ordinariness. We're often very, we're so afraid of the intimacy because the intimacy will show us our ordinariness, will take us beyond the appearance of personality or external. Anything but my ordinariness. So we have this uh, tremendous need to manifest differently than we feel inside. At the same time, society holds you in check from really excelling in your uniqueness because it demands conformity. And so even as we stretch up, it's pushing us down. And we're caught in the vice of both of those forces because the conformity won't allow spontaneity, something that would be truly unique. Or creativity, let alone freedom. Or even risking. Risking. We stay confined in a very narrow corridor between being above average but average. I have a friend uh, who was dyslexic his whole life and uh, he had a terrible time in school. And he was reading things backward. He's a very intelligent man, but he just. And but his mother um, would say to him, "Honey, weirdness is beautiful." She would, he would say, "Oh, I'm so weird. I'm so strange in school. I'm so different than everybody." And she would say, "Honey, weirdness is beautiful." And he he is um, one of the most stable psychologically people because of that. Um, Acceptance that 
allowance in himself. And we know many others who didn't get receive that message. Who are bent from the criticism, self-criticism and other criticism. There is an article in um, the Seattle Times not too long ago on a young boy who had the disease progeria. Progeria is a condition where um, you grow, you age eight to ten times faster than your chronological age. And this young boy was um, eight years old, uh, and he had, he was shriveled, you know, he had a bad heart, he had uh, arthritic conditions, and he was about uh, maybe two and a half feet high. And he was at school, because there was nothing wrong with his intellect. And it, the p- paper showed, it had a whole Sunday section on him, and it showed him with his other classmates who were towering over him. And he had a little, he was bald, and he had a little cap on, you know, and there's nothing that that person wanted more than just to be ordinary. And in our definition, Ordinary takes a certain shape of conformity. And so I know the amount of ridicule that poor child must have gone through. Because uniqueness is intolerable. Why? Because it expresses freedom. And that which expresses freedom is beyond the confines of of the of the, econ- of the uh, psychology of the economy. The economy drives everything. I'm convinced. The pain of being ordinary. The pain of being ordinary. You see, when we're sitting down, we're facing the pain of being ordinary. Now, do we have the courage to do that? Because in there lies our uniqueness. We will never find the uniqueness until we have fully mirrored the pain of the ordinary. For what we project as ordinary must be exposed. Let me look at this thing. Let me see. Let me not just be governed by what the culture tells me I should be like. Let me follow this image to its very end. Let me just hold that. I don't care what comes. You see, that's what it takes. That's what it takes. That's the courage it takes. To the point where I don't care who I am. I no longer can tolerate my self-pity. I don't care what's on the other side of that or if anything's on the other side. Maybe I'll just explode or implode or just... But I cannot tolerate that pretension any longer. Now let, it, let me see it. Let me, let me see it.
the pain of me, the pain of my story. You see, we're confronted when we look at the pretentious layers that we have painted. We are, we have, we're confronted with having to release our story. That's what's ensnarled us. That's what's entangled us. That's what has confined us for so long. Because we think that with the story, we can excel in some way. Never mind that the story has yet to be finished. And so we're never content. That if we ever rest, well, without the story of our incompletion and our need for more, what we would rest on is the ordinary, and I know that's not sufficient because all I find there is boredom. Fear of being ordinary is the fear of knowing what I am afraid of knowing in myself. And why am I afraid of knowing Because I'm afraid of that I'm not worth knowing. I'm afraid that if I, somebody really sees me. There was a song in the 60s that went, um, if only you saw what was inside of me now, you wouldn't want to know me somehow. And we, and we carry that. Fear of being seen is really the fear of our looking, of our seeing it. And so we're in, we really have a mass conspiracy that because I'm afraid of seeing my ordinariness and the boredom associated that I project in association with it, I don't want to see yours either. So you keep up the pretension so that I won't have to look. And that's the conspiracy. And that's what culture, that's why Sangha begins the sanity of the opposite, of the opposite movement. to be authentic. Just feel the resonance of that word for a moment. Because it deeply, deeply should resonate with us. Perhaps ordinariness is too laden with connotation. But what about authenticity? To be authentic. which means to live without adding, without protection, without defense. That's what it means to be authentic. Without defense? Well, they'll see me. See, that's our objection to it. We meet it with, well, they'll, people will see me. I will be invisible. Right. Right. 
remember uh, in, in, the, um, in the 60s, which was very much the part of my high school and college years, you know, and I, 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 had, I felt the philosophical alignment with what was going on in those days, but I couldn't buy the costume. I, I, don't, I didn't accept it. It just was like too much taking off one thing and putting on another. And, just, you know, it just it felt as pretentious as what we were leaving. And perhaps every phase of youth does that. But at some point, we have to take it back off. We have to, we have to throw it back off. Take it off. What's there now? We have to face the belief that there's something wrong with us. We have to face that. We have to face who we are when we're just cut to the raw wood. What's that look like? How would I be if I weren't exciting? If people wouldn't... I would be uninteresting. People wouldn't... I wouldn't be validated. Nobody would like me. I wouldn't be even noticed. You see how where it goes? See the strength this thing takes? I'm not... I know what the strength this takes. But we're here together this week. We don't have anything else going on. Nobody's looking. Let's see what's under there and see if it is the, if our projection is the truth. I would not ask you to do that if I knew it was the truth. I would let you stay covered. Why would I want you to hurt? I'm not interested in you hurting. But I ask now for you, us to come out and see if it's true. To be authentic. We would rather impersonate ourselves than be ourselves. We're like a caricature of ourselves. So where do we think the sacred comes from? Do you think the sacred comes from pretension? We can pretend our way to freedom? You see, it doesn't doesn't jibe. Don't we think what's authentic must be here already? Maybe if I just relax. Because pretension must take effort. It must take an ongoing force of effort to keep the shield and the paint on. That's why this meditation is based in relaxation. We want you to relax yourself into the authentic. And there are rare, a few chances in life when no one's looking and you have an opportunity to do so. Few chances.
if we weren't so afraid, not just of what that others might see us, but that what we might see, what we think is that we know what's in there. And I'm not going in there. I know what's in there. Some demons, something. I don't know what we think, but we think we know. And, all, and, and so we have to keep our guard up, even so that we don't see what we know is in there. Hmm. And that's, so the spears of Mara. You see, those are the spears of Mara. Now, if you just relax, those spears change into the lotus blossoms. Nothing can hurt us. Because we have the capacity to hold what we see. And what we see, we don't have, that's just another layer of paint because that's just another image. And what about the fear of not having an image? Oh my God, that must be awful. I'd be annihilated. Fears of abandonment, fears of loneliness, fears of desolation, dissolution. Nothing could be further from the truth. The mind will create its own terror. What about vitality? What about aliveness? What about wholeness? What about full-heartedness? What about contentment? What about stillness? And feel it now. See, it only takes an instant. We don't. This isn't a labor camp. You're already authentic. No, it's you're already authentic. You're going to make it. We, most of us make it into a labor camp, but it doesn't need to be. All we have to do is feel the stillness. All we have to do is be willing to go there, just for a moment. We, we can back off. See, it's like the meta. When we start doing the meta, I see all this wiggling going on. It's like, oh. <laughs> because the image doesn't face the state. And so we're wiggling against the deservingness of the state. This is the same thing. Stillness is. Authenticity is. Utterly ordinary. Utterly ordinary where we're not dependent upon any stimulation, any form of excitement. And the world awaits, life awaits at that level. Yeah, I just... Let us hold the mirror high with courage. And if that means we're not ready now, that's okay. But let us not pretend again that we don't know it's there. That's the truth that needs to be remembered. I saw it. I won't pretend I didn't. And then we live with that rub until a pearl is formed. 
within the sands of that rub. No pretension. No pretending again. I see it. That's okay. I'm not ready to give it up. That's okay. But don't pretend you didn't see it. And just live with that. Until the wood becomes raw. And we can stand without reflection in the foundation of ordinariness. Utter ordinariness. Can we sit for a minute or two? And you will know the sacred because it abides in the ordinary. There'll be no question. You won't need proof. Every cell in your body will know. May all beings be authentic. May all beings have courage to face their pretension. May all beings be utterly ordinary. 